What's up, everyone? Welcome to the latest episode of Note to Scene. This week, we got new music from Falling in Reverse, Of Mice and Men, a radio rundown, and a deep dive unpacking whether or not nothing nowhere can break out of the scene. You can listen to the official Note to Scene radio show over at 94.3 The X in Colorado every Saturday night from 8 to 10 p.m. local time. If you want to check it out you're not in the area, you can download the station's app. Just search 94.3 The X in the App Store and tune in this Saturday. If you have any comments, questions, or requests for deep dives, email me at notetoscene at gmail.com. All right, let's get started. So Falling in Reverse, or just Ronnie, I'm not sure how to officially refer to that old thing at this point, but they released a revamped version of I'm Not a Vampire from Falling's first album, The Drug in Me Is You, and holy shit, there is just a lot to unpack here. Okay, so this is the second reworked version of a song from Drug in Me that they've done. The first one was the title track, and it was a piano ballad of sorts, and they gave it the full music video treatment. For I'm Not a Vampire, they took that concept and basically put it on steroids, going full-on orchestral epic. Instrumentally, it feels like a movie score, the way it rises and falls with tension building into multiple crescendos, and Ronnie's massive voice fills every ebb and flow with the appropriate energy. And then there's the video, which further proves the kind of world Ronnie is trying to create here. Almost like a vampire version of Nightmare Before Christmas, and he's Jack Skellington. They also either edited out his face tattoos or covered them up with makeup, but it is kind of wild to see him without any ink. I wrote the notes for this song on Monday, so three days after the song dropped, and it had nearly 800,000 plays on YouTube and nearly 400,000 on Spotify. So by next week's episode, Falling will likely break 4 million monthly listeners on Spotify for the first time, pushing them even closer to passing a day to remember who is at 4.4 million and fallen way behind the top two of Bring Me the Horizon and All Time Low, who are both above 8 million right now. But considering how much of a shit show this ADTR album rollout has been and how many steps they've lost in the process, once Falling drops their next album, I think it's a safe bet to say they'll pass ADTR and enter the top three non-breakout scene bands on Spotify. In other new music news, Of Mice and Men have released the title track from their upcoming EP, Timeless. It is the second single from the three-song release, which is due out next Friday, February 28th through Sharp Tone Records. Much like the lead single, Obsolete, Timeless is a very paint-by-numbers modern of Mice and Men song. There's nothing wrong with it, it's certainly cohesive metalcore. You've got metallic riffs, downtuned breakdowns, a huge chorus melody, but it doesn't offer much to separate it from the band's own pack that they've created ever since Aaron Polly became the frontman. That being said, the first single was added to a ton of playlists on Spotify, and it shot their monthly listeners up from 1.1 million at the beginning of January to just under 1.9 million now. With this new song and the third song from the EP dropping next week, I'd say it's a safe bet that they can break 2 million, which puts them in the hunt to break the top 10 non-breakout scene bands. I keep track of that top 10 as well as metalcore and pop punk specifically at the beginning of each month on the Note to Scene Twitter if you want to watch along over there. For February, the 10th biggest band was Mayday Parade. Their back catalog is just strong as hell. And they were at 2.2 million. So Mice has made quite a big leap with these two new songs. We'll see where they're at at the beginning of March. All right. 
on to this week's radio rundown. So our all-time low tracker update. We have them breaking the top 20 on top 40 at number 18, up over 7% in plays. Number 5 on alternative radio, down 3.5% in plays. And number 62 overall on the Hot 100, up two spots from last week and marking a new peak for the track. 18 at top 40 is an insanely good look, and yet again, it's showing no signs of stopping. I think we're almost to the point where it's starting to be a safe bet that they're going to have a top 10 hit on top 40, which gets more and more unreal every week we talk about it. MGK and Black Bear are sitting at number 12 on top 40 and number 2 on alternative. It broke even on the Hot 100 this week at number 25, but still showed big increases on both radio platforms, so I expect it to make a jump next week. Nothing Nowhere's Fake Friend moves up to 22 this week on alternative radio, but we're going to talk more about that in a few. Ask Alexandria's They Don't Want What We Want is up from 8 to number 7 on rock radio this week, but actually still down 2% in plays. We're going to keep an eye on that one. There's been a lot of shuffling going on at the top 10 over the last few weeks, but that's two weeks in a row now that we're down in plays on this song, so it might finally be starting to lose some momentum, but we'll see. Bring the Horizon's Teardrops is up to number 12 and up nearly 7% in plays. Knocking on the door of the top 10, that's exactly what we like to see. And finally, Architects Animals is up to the top 15 and up 9% in plays this week. Just over one week till the new album drops and I cannot wait to start their deep dive next episode. But first, we have this week's deep dive. So this is by far the newest band or act in general that I've done on a dive so far. But as much as I like the nostalgia dives, I really like keeping things as current as possible. Nothing Nowhere has been really interesting to watch over the last four years or so. A peripheral product of the SoundCloud rap movement, but came up through the scene, which as we've seen has been the opposite of a recipe for success. But despite a few stumbles, Nothing Nowhere has continually taken steps to whatever that next level was, and now he's gearing up to release a new album on a major label during the biggest moment of his career. Can he actually build up enough momentum to break out of the scene? Let's break it down. So, Nothing Nowhere is Joseph Mulherin, a 28-year-old Massachusetts native. His musical career began in 2015 when he started uploading songs to SoundCloud under the name Nothing Nowhere. He dropped his first album, called the Nothing Nowhere LP, in June of that year. The record was pretty similar to what Lil Peep was doing around that time, although I trace back both of their timelines, and I believe Joe was actually officially releasing music before Peep was. But it was very lo-fi, 808-based tracks led by these wistful, elegant guitar licks and Joe's melodic vocal delivery. He doesn't directly rap much at all on these early songs, while Peep had more of a flow to his melodies. Joe didn't really develop his until later. But listen to this Peep song off of his first tape from September of 2015 called The Way I See Things. This is one of my favorite Peep songs of all time.
here is Don't Mind Me off of the first Nothing Nowhere album, which came out just a few months before that Peep song. So after this, Joe dropped two EPs, Bummer later in 2015 and Who Are You in 2016. Both showed him experimenting more and more with his sound. He was delivering different types of flows and playing around with some different soundscapes. The Who Are You EP came in January of 2016, and then he played his first show in February with Puya and Suicide Boys. First off, big shout out to Joe for documenting everything so neatly on his Facebook page. It made this dive a absolute pleasure to put together, and it was so much easier than probably any other one that I've ever done. But it, this first show was interesting to me because it wasn't the route he chose to come up through. You see, there are two roads that this recent era of SoundCloud-based rappers were met with. They could try to come up through the hip-hop scene, or they can come up through the scene scene. And it's funny because the two worlds are completely separate. No matter how many times artists from each world have tried to cross over into the other, it just hasn't worked for whatever reason. That's why Peep was so interesting, because he came up through the hip-hop lane, which is what landed him with so many high-end connections and a major label deal, but he wanted so badly to be in the scene. The problem with the artists from that era who have chosen to come up through the scene... Lil Lotus, Smart Death, Gucci Highwaters, and still Nothing Nowhere to some extent, the hip-hop world doesn't even know that they exist. When I started working at XXL, I brought some of those names up to other people on the staff, and they had never even heard of them before. And not to make this a little peep deep dive, but he wanted to bridge what was left of the scene and bring it up with him on his rise. And I think that would have changed so much for our world and the relationship it has with the mainstream world right now. I can't tell you how many rappers that are on major labels right now that are basically just sitting on shelves waiting to be prioritized and are actually smaller or at the same level as Lil Lotus or even Smart Death. All of this to say, it was just interesting to me to go back and see Nothing Nowhere's first show was actually with two members of the SoundCloud wave that came up through the hip-hop lane and not the scene. Because after this, he went on one of his first official tours in September and October of 2016 and opened up for Thrice and La Dispute. I mean, that seemingly small shift put him onto the scene lane, for better or for worse. Right now, Nothing Nowhere still has a shot, but I've always wondered where he would have been if he would have doubled down on the hip-hop lane and tried to get more aligned with Peep and that entire world that was exploding at that time. In the summer of 2016, XXL made Lil Uzi Vert, Lil Yachty, Kodak Black, and others part of their freshman class, and in 2017, they made XXXTentacion and Playboy Cardi members of that class, and those just really helped explode them and that whole movement at that time. I just 
wonder if Nothing Nowhere would have been at the very least part of that conversation instead of touring with scene bands, and he would have gotten more momentum so much quicker. But he chose the scene route, and by April of 2017, he was out on another tour from our world, opening up for Real Friends, Have Mercy, Tiny Moving Parts, and Broadside. Throughout this, that spring into summer, he began dropping songs for what would be his next album. The first was Clarity and Kerosene, which followed his tried and true formula of elegant, watery riffs over 808s and his ebb and flow between a sung melody and R&B type bars. But what was notably different here was the production. It was so much more crisp and cohesive than anything he had released previously. Next came a song called Hopes Up with the king of emo himself, Chris Caraba, and to a lot of people in and out of the scene, this was seen as a bit of a passing of the torch moment. It was a king from yesteryear giving the cosign that this sound is emo's future. This is where it can live and actually thrive again. The song features more of the same Nothing Nowhere sound, but Joe's voice feels more confident than it ever did before that point. In the hook, he has a rasp pretty similar to Lil Peeps, who just naturally had an incredible voice, regardless of the setting or delivery. So at this point, it's the summer of 2017, and Nothing Nowhere had officially signed to both Equal Vision and Pete Wentz's label DCD2. He, ever since he started signing to labels, he's always had joint deals, which makes things very confusing on the outside, because you don't know exactly how much percentage or what goes where, but... This was the scene's first concerted push of an artist from the SoundCloud era, and the product was Nothing Nowhere's first album, Reaper. Once this was out, I was like, okay, I think this can be a thing. I didn't like the equal vision angle just because of how far they'd fallen from their heights as a force in the scene, but the DCD2 angle was definitely interesting. I mean, it had been a minute since a new Pete Wentz artist had made any notable waves. I mean, although Max has had a few moments, a band like New Politics was just a bad move in general. But still, even when Pete relaunched Decadence, the label was still distributed through Warner, so kind of, sort of, major label connection. But Reaper came out through DCD2 and Equal Vision on a October 20th, 2017. The album didn't break the top 200, and I haven't actually been able to track down any sales info on it, but it did get a massive look from the New York Times. So John Caramonica, the head pop writer for the New York Times, gave Joe a feature piece with the title, Nothing Nowhere Blends Hip-Hop and Emo to Make Tomorrow's Pop. The article unpacked Joe's life and career up to that point and highlighted the way he concocted his really unique sound. Caramonica has been my personal favorite music critic for years. His knowledge of music is absolutely ridiculous, and he actually has a fairly deep understanding of the scene and emo as a whole. He hosts my favorite podcast called The Popcast, which is also under the New York Times umbrella, and he has brought up everyone from Attack Attack to Broken Side, so although he might not have been in the trenches, he was definitely watching them. So this feature was a big look, but then John went and made Reaper his number one album of the year in the New York Times year-end roundups for 2017. I think Reaper was a very solid record. The production on it was fantastic, and I think the song Scully is top five Nothing Nowhere songs all time. The hook just cuts like a knife, and the music video was perfect for his image, having his face painted in a super detailed skull outline and him driving a hearse around. I wish they would have leaned more into it and had more content with him with that skull paint. 
but Reaper came, and by the point it felt like it had unfortunately fallen out of the conversation, another new Nothing Nowhere album was coming out, not even six months after the release of Reaper. But this time, the release was coming out in Fueled by Ramen, which was a pretty big head-turner. Fueled by is a completely different league than Equal Vision. The label announcement came in February of 2018, along with the title track, Ruiner, as the lead single. It was another lo-fi track with a fairly decent hook, but the real magic came a few weeks later when the second best Nothing Nowhere song of all time dropped, Hammer. So Hammer came out on March 2nd, and it was the first moment when it felt like Joe was really firing on all cylinders. It followed his same usual formula, but he found a groove vocally that he hadn't hit before. The hook is pure ear candy. When this dropped and he was on Fueled By, I was like, okay, let's fucking go. I think we've actually got something here. The full album dropped on April 13th and did about 2,000 units first week. So obviously nothing huge. I mean, barely a blip on the map altogether, but the songs were starting to come around. With two albums in basically six months and a fairly solid collection, the future looked bright as hell for Nothing Nowhere, heading into the spring and summer of 2018. He landed slots on both Reading and Leeds and Lollapalooza, but in the spring, he was forced to cancel the remainder of the headlining tour he was on with Lil Lotus and Shinigami when he was diagnosed with chronic laryngitis and a hemorrhaged vocal fold filled with blood. Then, that summer in July, he canceled multiple shows due to severe struggles with anxiety and depression, and he later canceled more shows that August, including his appearance at Reading and Leeds. He sought out professional help and later discussed what he went through during that time in a really candid interview with The Fader. About his anxiety and depression, he said, Panic attacks and anxiety have been something I've struggled with since I was young. As I got older, I developed depression as a result of those panic attacks. It's been an obstacle I've had to overcome my entire life, but this summer it reached a point where there wasn't ignoring it anymore. It wasn't sustainable at all. Completely debilitating. I don't necessarily know what triggered it, but randomly I had one of the worst panic attacks I've ever had in my entire life. Something flipped inside of me. There are a bunch of terrible side effects that come with that, both mentally and physically. I lost 10 to 15 pounds, I wasn't getting out of bed, I couldn't leave the house, I couldn't go to the grocery store, couldn't do anything besides lay in bed and have a panic attack every single day. The night before we left for tour, we were about to pick up the bus. At midnight, literally hours before we were about to leave, I had a breakdown and told my tour manager there was absolutely no way I can do this tour, that it would be dangerous for me to do it. I needed to step away for a while and get better. That was early June, and here we are now in October. It was such a trying time for me this past summer, and it's nice to be able to sit here now and look at the tornado that I was in. I feel like I'm not in that tornado anymore. So after he announced the cancellation of those shows, we didn't really hear anything from Nothing Nowhere until near the beginning of November when he surprise dropped a song called Dread. It's a brutally honest and upfront song about where his mind was at during the second half of that year. But after this, Joe was able to get the ball rolling again on Nothing Nowhere and continue doing what he loves, which is the most important part. He was able to go out on his previously scheduled headliner with Wiccaface, Springs Eternal, and Smart Death throughout December. He wasn't playing huge caps, usually between 400 and 800, but he was managing to sell out a number of dates in advance on the run, which regardless of venue size is one of the most important business aspects of touring. Then the festival announcement started rolling again. 
He was announced for Download Festival in 2019 in January, Reading and Leeds in January as well, Nova Rock Fest in Austria, Rock for People in the Czech Republic, Pot of Gold Festival in Phoenix, which is a heavy hip-hop leaning. It had everyone from Lil Wayne to Snoop Dogg playing. He got announced for Pop in Belgium, Lollapalooza in Chicago, and then they rolled out filler dates in between a lot of those festival appearances. So after he stepped away from a big portion of his touring schedule in 2018, he really doubled down like never before in 2019. That March, he released another Lucy called Callback, which wasn't anything that stood out from the rest of his catalog, but I love the consistent release schedule. Although it's the new normal in hip-hop and even pop to some extent, the scene and most of guitar-based music still exist inside that antiquated campaign structure of release an album, tour for two years, and then repeat. So he spent the summer doing the festival campaign. In September, he opened a tour for Grandson. Grandson is like this proto 21 Pilots dude that is just rooted a little further into the rock world than anywhere else. I actually interviewed him in 2018 and really thought he was onto something. He's got a bit of a joint fueled by ramen and Electra deal. I'm not exactly sure what the terms of that are, but he had a song called Blood Water take off in 2018. It's got over 260 million streams on Spotify right now, and he's got another song called Dirty that is starting to make some notable noise on alternative radio. It just broke the top 10, and it actually looks like it's a pretty safe bet for the top 5. But I never cover him just because even though he's on fueled by, that's literally his only connection to the scene. They haven't tried to push him to what's left of the scene, which is a good move, honestly, and he doesn't have any past band ties like, for example, the dudes in IDK Howe. But so Nothing Nowhere opened for him on a North American tour in September and October of 2019. Near the end of September that year, he dropped a collab EP with none other than Travis Barker. Remember everything we unpacked about Travis last week? You knew he was going to come into Nothing Nowhere's timeline at some point. I really enjoyed this release. Especially the song Destruction, it felt like a SoundCloud rap song mixed with an actually innovative pop-punk song. There is some more really enjoyable experimentation on the rest of the EP too. I definitely recommend it. After this, in January, a Nothing Nowhere World Tour was announced. Dates all across North America, Europe, and the UK, Madrid, Budapest, Prague, and tons of other locations. Unfortunately, as we all know now, all of those dates were eventually canceled due to the pandemic, but before that, he dropped a track called Nightmare, which is still, just over a year later, hands down the best Nothing Nowhere song. It's this up-tempo, essentially a dance record, all things considered, and Joe delivers the best vocal performance of his career. The drum mix ebbs and flows between 808s and an acoustic kit, and it serves the song perfectly. If you've never heard of Nothing Nowhere, before or are even just turned off by the whole SoundCloud rap movement, listen to this song. It sounds similar, but not at all at the exact same time. This was my second most listened to song on Spotify in 2020. I played this thing out when it dropped, and I can still listen to it now and literally can't not yell along to it. But after this, the pandemic hit, and I was so bummed because it really felt like Joe was finding his stride again. He had just completed a year's worth of pretty strategic touring, announced a new world tour, and dropped the best song of his career. Then the world stopped. 
Even just looking back on it now, I feel for the guy. But he didn't stop working once the pandemic hit. He started doing his one-take series, which showed him playing songs from his catalog in one take. He eventually put all of those recordings into an album and put it on streaming services. Near the beginning of the pandemic, he released another new song that nobody saw coming called Death. It's a genuinely heavy track. I mean, kind of reminiscent of City Morgue or more of like the horror core side of the hip hop movement, but it has a genuine breakdown, which of course has some 808s laid over the top because it wouldn't be nothing nowhere without that. But I was about this. I couldn't tell if it was just a throwaway pandemic move or if it was something that they were actually working with, but I liked the idea of dropping something like that right after a song like Nightmare. Next came a song called Lights 4444, which I loved because it has this bubblegum pop arpeggio type synth as its backbone, which he's never really utilized in a song before. As we go through these new songs, you're starting to notice a trend that Joe is at his best when he experiments with new soundscapes, which is honestly a testament to the caliber of the artist that he is. Next came Pretend, which has a riff that really reminds me of Scully, but it has more of a pop-punk full-band hook, which I like to see. Next came Blood, which features up-and-comers Kenny Hoopla and Judge. Kenny is this really exciting new wave pop-punk artist that's been making some notable waves over the last six months or so. His biggest bubbling song right now is called Estella. I mean, guess who it features? Travis Barker, because of course it does. But Blood is another up-tempo banger in the vein of Nightmare. Next came Fake Friend, which is what they announced the new album Trauma Factory with. It's a slow burner with this huge double hook that really drives the track home. As you know, this is the one we've been watching on Alternative Radio over the last few weeks, and most recently he dropped a single called Upside Down this past Friday, which starts off as an old-school Nothing Nowhere song, but then this rhythm section kicks in and it gives the song such a pep in its step. On first listen, I definitely wasn't expecting to like the song as much as I did by the time it was over. But that brings us to current day. Tomorrow, Nothing Nowhere will release his fourth full-length album, Trauma Factory, through Fueled by Ramen and DCD2. He currently has 1.6 million monthly listeners on Spotify, and the single Fake Friend is sitting at number 22 on Alternative Radio, marking a steady climb over the last few weeks. So, can he break out of the scene? First off, let me just say that there is absolutely no denying this kid's talent. He knows how to put together the math behind a genuinely good song, and can do so across multiple genres and soundscapes, most times even combining different worlds into hybrid sounds. Second, the team he has is ready to stand by him and push till the end. Johnny Minardi has been with Joe since the wheels for the Equal Vision signing started turning, and he's helped execute this plan that's been years in the making. If you would have asked me if Nothing Nowhere could break out of the scene a year ago, I would have told you no. I actually tweeted it when Nightmare dropped, and Johnny responded basically saying, don't count him out yet. And here we are, a year later, Nothing Nowhere seems to be about to drop the best album of his career, and he's getting not only his first radio play ever, but he's starting to snowball momentum on alternative radio. They skipped over rock radio, which is a fantastic move and what I wish a lot of scene bands did three or four years ago. At this point, there's still a long way to go and a lot of steps still need to be taken, but they've taken quite a few in the right direction over just the last year. And I think as this year goes on and the world slowly opens back up, those next steps are going to be taken. 
To me, it's still a long shot, but a lot of things in general in the industry are changing right now. And by the time 2022 hits, we're gonna enter a brave new world. And Nothing Nowhere might just be one of the many that will come out on top of it. Thank you so much for listening to the show this week. Next week, we have part one of our Architects Deep Dive. If you have any requests for deep dives, email me at notetoscene at gmail.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Note to Scene on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you enjoy the show, please drop a review on iTunes. I'd appreciate it very much. Until next week, stay safe, and I'll talk to you soon. Music